A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maybe concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 416. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television. And this time we are continuing our discussion about The Curse of the Mummy. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Yes, this is an ITV play from 1970. It's about 75 minutes long. It's in full colour. It explores an ancient Egyptian curse and its effect on a small group of people who are effectively sort of trapped in this house while all this is going on. And it's adapted from the novel Jewel of the Seven Stars by Bram Stoker in 1903. And this was one of the surviving episodes of Mystery and Imagination, which was a series of plays on ITV with lots of horror type things. And the majority of those are missing, but the ones that survive have been released on DVD. So that's what we're watching here. It's interesting stuff and good to have it. Absolutely. So... Getting into a bit more of the show from what we did last time, we have this group of people who are trapped, more or less, in this Edwardian house, and Stoker introduces a lot of elements into this story. We have an Egyptian cat relic that may come to life. We have a magical ruby, which is the jewel of the seven stars of the novel's original title. We have a mummified severed hand. We have the mummy of Queen Terra herself. We have a ritual that will possibly restore Queen Terra. We have someone who was attacked and remains unconscious for much of the time we have quite a few things going on here we do indeed but there is this one thing that we notice or i notice particularly is not present in this television play which is while the book bram stoker's book refers to queen terra's mummy and the title of this episode the curse of the mummy refers to it you're not going to get the classical bandaged figure wandering around with the arms outstretched in this tv version so there was a slight disappointment for me in that it's not quite the horror archetype i was expecting but there are reasons for that, I guess, Brian, to do with the sort of faithfulness of the adaptation. Yeah, it's interesting because you have the sort of Victorian literature and the original novel, which was about a mummy, which was like an Egyptian mummy in a sarcophagus. It wasn't the sort of monster mummy. And then you have the monster movies that have mummies walking around. And Mystery and Imagination was not about that. That. It was much more about going back to the source material of the novels rather than the mythos that developed with the movies in the 1930s and so on. Interesting. I mean, it does, of course, it, this episode does give us a classic flashback sequence at the start where we are in ancient Egypt and we see Isabel Black playing Queen Terra and Patrick Moa playing her sort of lead disciple or priest or lover. 
And of course, the flashback to ancient Egypt, seeing that the same actors are playing the characters, is something we have become quite familiar with in, I suppose, the last 50 years or so of Mummy Stories, Brian. Yes, that's right. And here it was done sort of as a dream sequence, but it gives us this idea of the reincarnated lovers that does seem to come from Stoker's novel. And the the idea of doing these flashback sequences to Egypt may date from Terence Fisher's film The Mummy from 1959 with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, you know, classic camera horror there. Certainly possibly the one that we were most familiar with on this side of the Atlantic for showing that. It's interesting. I mean, you know, as I say, we're not going to get the classical bandaged mummy, but we do get the flashback sequence. And as you say, Brian, there is something about mystery and imagination sticking quite close to the source material for their plays. Yes, and that's common for British television. But when you're doing horror, they did that at a level that not everything did. They really didn't want to think about the mythos so much as the original source material. Hmm. But as you say, the Victorians did have this interest in mummies and in ancient Egypt. Bram Stoker's 1903 novel, Jewel of the Seven stars which we're looking at an adaptation of here it reflects victorian england's fascination there the fascination with ancient egypt and especially with mummies and wikipedia tells me that britain occupied egypt in 1882 and that this prompted an even more intense period of exploration excavation in the nile valley many artifacts being let's say taken although you could say stolen and brought back to the UK to be exhibited. This included, of course, actual mummies, which were often then unwrapped and displayed. Again, I think we could use different words for this treatment of Egypt's dead, looking back on it, but of course the past is another country. And I'll also mention just briefly that this this is not quite the Victorian period, but earlier on there'd been another obsession with powdered mummy and the idea that this had medicinal properties which makes me feel quite unwell and of course it was also famously used as an artist pigment for a while although it was subsequently replaced by uh, other less uh, gruesome types of powdered matter to be used to make that characteristic brown pigment for artists yes and of course by talking about this we are getting into some issues of imperialism and colonial issues with the British Empire. And in 1903, that was not something that was being criticized. It was something that was still being actively pushed by a lot of British society. And it was very much the the current way things that things were being done. And we can see that parallel in that the famous Egyptologist Howard Carter excavated the tomb of Queen Hatshepsut also in 1903. So those famous excavations and things being taken from their original countries, that was happening the same year that this book was written. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating period. As I say, we now look back on it with slightly different views about what was going on. But it was clear that, you know, in the late Victorian period and then into the 20th century, the UK was fascinated with ancient Egypt and with 
displaying the artefacts over here, bringing them over here and sticking them in museums and exhibitions and so on. And this novel, as you say, Brian, this reflects that fascination. It wasn't being looked at in a critical fashion then. It was all the rage, as it were. Yeah, and I think by 1969 or 1970, when this television production was being produced and broadcast the viewpoints were quite different by then and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit too i think but jewel of the seven stars does seem to be one of stoker's lesser works but it also helps set the template for mummy stories quite possibly yeah it's fascinating because you know quite a lot of the sort of various film and tv versions we've seen in the last decades, nod back to some of the stuff that Stoker did in 1903 in Jewel of the Seven Stars. And this one's quite a reasonably faithful adaptation of his book, certainly up to a point. So it's very interesting to see some where some of this sort of almost modern folklore has developed from. Yes, absolutely. So I think we should get into more of our own thoughts. Eamon, what did you like about The Curse of the Mummy? Well, let's start with the cast, because they are pretty much splendid. Graham Crowden, uh, Patrick Moa, and Isabel Black in particular, I think, are all excellent screen presences and doing quite enjoyable stuff. Graham Crowden doing his slightly deranged sort of mad scientist uh, Trelawney. Patrick Moa and Isabel Black being a bit more restrained, but quite interesting on screen. And of course, what's happening to Margaret's character as the sort of the plan and the curse unfolds is very interesting stuff. So I generally, I, you know, it's a small cast in this one, but I, I generally, I enjoyed them, Brian. What did you think of the acting? I would agree with that. This was done as studio productions were at the time in a very stage production type way with a limited number of of sets and i thought the performances were really quite good i i enjoyed that aspect of it a lot i'll also say that the look and feel of it and sort of the sound with the the soundtrack and so on were also very good in this I like the spooky quality to it, and there was they managed to make it feel a little bit epic, even though it was a small group of people in one location. We still had the feel that something big was happening here, and I liked how that worked. It certainly, it, you know, it looks good. It's a set production done on videotape, but the costumes are good, the sets are good. I think there's one or two minor videotape artifacts that have survived, you know, the transfer onto DVD, but that's not not particularly a problem and, and at times almost enhances the spooky atmosphere of the story. So in terms of the production values, you know, as you say, Brian, the composer, the music, the look of it all is pretty good, I think. Now, what did you think about the writing? Well, I mean, it may be a problem with the source material. As I say, I haven't read Bram Stoker's novel, but I've heard it's quite... A tricky one to get through. I think the interesting thing to say about Mystery and Imagination is how closely this series appears to have stuck to the source material, which was something that you pointed out to me, Brian. It's an interesting feature. They've gone for very much trying to sort of take something from the original source material and give us something perhaps more that the authors intended than the, than the way it was adapted in the 20th century. Yeah, that was especially apparent in their version of Frankenstein, 
this was the version of Frankenstein that had Ian Holm playing both Dr. Frankenstein and the creature. And it went very much in the the style and the tone of the novel. The characters were very much as they were in the novel, which is very different from what we see in the universal horror films of the 30s and the things that followed them. It is interesting to see some of these mummy tropes developing though, isn't it? Yes. And I I did find, and this is partly going into negative stuff, I did enjoy the writing in here. I found that a lot of it was well put together. But the biggest issue with it was that you have sort of two segments to it. You have about two-thirds of it where Trelawney is still unconscious and Margaret is sort of driving the story quite a lot. And I liked her character when she was doing that a lot and I think she was a really good driver to the story. So I enjoyed that part of it more. And then when Trelawney is back up and awake in the third part of it, it loses steam a little bit and becomes a little bit more mad scientist-esque. It becomes more the Egyptologist who is obsessed with bringing back this ancient Egyptian goddess Terra at any cost. And that was less interesting than when it was Margaret trying to avoid people being harmed and figure out what was going on and take care of her ill father. Yes, that stuff with Margaret, played by Isabel Black, is great. When she's pretty much leading things and is organising and sorting them all out. And as you say, that becomes less of a feature as, the, as once Trelawney himself wakes up and starts mad scientists in around the place. Yeah, interesting. It does it does have periods where there's quite a lot of exposition to be done. Quite a lot of people sitting around talking or standing around talking and shouting to tell us explain what Trelawney and Corbeck have been up to. Yeah, and I wasn't bothered by that. I I thought that was that was fine and they did it in a way often with the performances that made it still compelling. So for me, that wasn't an issue. I also noted that, you know, it was slightly strange that the police allowed so much of this stuff to carry on in the house without intervening or taking characters outside. Now, obviously, we we require them all there for the conclusion and this ceremony that Trelawney is going to try and recreate. But it did seem a bit strange at times how deferential the police sergeant was to these characters. Yeah, and that does feel a bit like the Victorian style of when this educated professor or whomever it is is doing something very strange and powerful the police and not many other you know not many people will stand in their way even if maybe you would expect them to as you say maybe it just reflects the sort of class distinctions of the time yeah i think so and this 1970 production i think it does bring something modern to it in the sense that maybe it highlights a little bit of the class stuff more but i think it does 
criticize the or is intended to criticize the imperialism a bit more that it sort of seems like by taking this mummy back to england with them they were doing something that they should not have been doing that this was you know interfering with things that they didn't understand but maybe even on top of that they were meddling in things by stealing something and doing you know trying to do these rituals that they don't understand yeah it's it is interesting and as you say does some of that stuff does come out and particularly looking at it with modern eyes we can see some of this stuff the class stuff the fact that they would take they were meddling in things they shouldn't have done and stealing stuff they didn't have a right to it is interesting of course listeners will have noted that i did notice the absence of an actual mummy when Terra's sarcophagus is open, it's basically just Isabel Black lying in there with her eye makeup on, perfectly preserved. There's no bandaged mummy character in this story. So, you know, it was a slight disappointment for me, as you know, Brian. Yes, I actually found that kind of refreshing. I like the fact that it was not a monster movie. It was a curse movie. And it was about the characters and what they were doing and how they were doing things they really should not have been doing. Hmm. It is a sort of a bottle episode. Yes, it is. What did you think about the opening segment that was the flashback or dream sequence type segment that had no dialogue to it? Uh, so, honestly, I thought it was a typical mummy television or film thing, the flashback sequence where you get the same actors playing these characters in the past. I thought it was quite well done in a sort of speechless fashion. The idea that it's a sort of dream sequence, which in a way will connect us to the ending that they've done for this particular episode, which, as we said, is a slight change from what Stoker had originally. Um, I quite liked it, Brian. What did you make of it? I really liked it, actually. I thought that was one of the strong points of this, in part because of the music, but also the visuals and the makeup and how it was shot, I thought was really effective. I thought it was very well done. Good. So that is interesting. And like I say, I, I do find that how that's become a sort of cinematic shorthand for these mummy stories, that you will see the past and then realize that the current characters in some way are reincarnations or modern versions of those characters. I quite like all that. Yeah, I like that this one was done without dialogue and it was done as a dream sequence. So it felt to me like not just a typical flashback. It was doing something a little bit spookier than that. And of course, it's Isabel Black and Patrick Moa, both of whom I think are great, particularly Isabel Black, who it's a shame that we haven't got to see her in more productions because she was quite a striking presence in this one, I thought. Yes, she was one of the, the strong points in this, this show, for sure. And I think that's something else with Mystery and Imagination is they often had a sort of central character, a central performance where they had they would bring in one very good actor to sort of hang the show around. And in this case, it was her. And I thought she was very good. I would have preferred if she was more important in the last segment. Yeah. We've had, obviously, the tremendous double role of Ian Holm in Frankenstein, Denham Elliott, 
commanding the screen as Dracula, and then Isabel Black as um, Margaret Trelawney and or Queen Terror. It is great stuff. Sadly, we have to say, of course, there are only these sort of eight episodes left on disc of a quite long series of Mystery and Imagination, which makes me wonder where you would rank this one compared to the other two that we've seen. But also, what would be your sort of dream return into the archive from one of the other missing episodes, Brian? Yeah, looking at the descriptions, the missing episodes sound great. And I would probably be happy to get any of them back. But my choice would definitely be casting the runes. I would love to see what they did with that. Yes, it'd be great to have that Mr. James one back in the archive. There's also a production I note. I'm just looking at the booklet. They did a production of Carmilla by Sheridan Lafanu with Jane Merrow, noted 1960s actress playing Carmilla. I would quite like to see that as well. That would be interesting too, for sure. But here we are. We've got eight surviving episodes. This is the third one we've covered. Anything else you want to say in the pluses or minus before I ask you to sort of rank it and recommend it, Brian? Well, I'm going to rank it and then we can go to our our recommendations, I think. Okay. For ranking, I will say the number one, my favorite was Frankenstein. And in the middle, I would put The Curse of the Mummy and third, I would put Dracula. And I really liked all of them. I, you know, I think all of them were strong, but that's how I would rank them. Yeah, I mean, all of them are strong and worth watching i would agree with you frankenstein is the standout i think i'd probably put dracula slightly ahead of the curse of the mummy but it would only it would i think they could those two could easily swap around in places two and three but they're all they're all absolutely worth watching and um, good productions from itv yeah they're all strong adaptations and how they were they were written they all have interesting performances there and i think the the productions and the visuals were all at least pretty good yeah okay so it's time to recommend or not the dvd set of mystery and imagination to our listeners brian i'm going to throw it to you what's your uh, recommendation going to be on this one i will definitely recommend this i think for faithful adaptations or quite faithful adaptations at least of classic horror stories it does a very good job i've really enjoyed them and i would recommend watching this particular one the curse of the mummy it it has its flaws as we've talked about but it's really solid and quite compelling so absolutely i would recommend this it's gonna be the same here all i'd say is don't go in expecting the bandaged mummy but apart from that the curse of the mummy is a great episode to watch the series as a whole looks to have been fantastic. The eight surviving episodes are available on this DVD, which is reasonably priced, still available. As ever, at British Invaders, we like to encourage you to buy them and support Network DVD, who put this one out with ITV. So yeah, it's a double recommendation from us here on British Invaders. And if you know any more about the sort of the origins of the reincarnation idea, but particularly the flashback sequence in the Universal and the Hammer movies and so on, do let me know. Get in touch and let me know. Yeah, absolutely. And I will expand your caveat a little bit, which is to say that in for mystery and imagination, don't expect monster movies. They're really not like the Universal monster movies. They're much more about the literature from that period of time, from the 1920s. 
19th century. Very good point. So, in summary, the curse of the mummy introduced us to this group of people somewhere in about 1903 in this one house where Mr. Trelawney has become ill, possibly through an attack of some sort, and he is unconscious, and his daughter, Margaret Trelawney, is having to take command and authority over a lot of things, where we have a police sergeant and a doctor and then another Egyptologist coming in and we learn about Trelawney's activities with this mummy and with an ancient curse and we go into the idea of could this ancient Egyptian character Terra be resurrected and we get into these sort of ceremonial things and ultimately Trelawney wakes up and he is involved with this too and we get into these ceremonies and things and move into a spooky and mysterious conclusion. Fascinating stuff. Do let us know what you think of The Curse of the Mummy by coming to the Facebook group or letting us know on Twitter. Absolutely. And please come and join us next time. We are switching genre but we are staying with 19th century fiction and on ITV. But this time we're looking at a series called Lost in Austin from 2008, which has some, it certainly has some interesting features to it. You could almost describe it as a sort of time slip adventure, Brian. Yes, it certainly has aspects of that. Until then, you can find us at BritishInvaders.com with all 400 plus episodes including the ones where we covered a couple of other Mystery and Imagination episodes. If you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there, join in on the discussion, or you can join in on the discussion on Twitter. We are at Brit Invaders Pod, so please follow us there if you can. Please do, and look out for us and join in the fun on the Voice of Geeks Network. British Invaders is a member of the Voice of Geeks Network. I'm very pleased to be so. There are several other shows, there's lots of gaming stuff going on, and you can find all of this fun at vognetwork.com, the voice of geeks. Absolutely. So thank you for listening, and this is Brian from Canada, signing off. Yes, thank you very much for being with us. Until next time, it's Eamon in England echoing the empty child and saying, Are you my mummy?